0: you do you let true green do your lawn care visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed
1: on the first official commemoration of juneteenth we sat down with the secretary of the smithsonian lonnie bunch to talk about the significance of that holiday and how the past is never really past, and how the museums look at the present for what it will tell us in the future I didn't realize there was such a thing as a historical rapid response team and was fascinated to learn about just what it is that they scoop up and how they do it. We were surrounded by the red stone of the original Smithsonian building, which also holds the remains of its founder. An imposing setting, which nevertheless welcomed Bunch into his life's vocation when he was just 11 years old. Secretary Bunch, we're sitting here today on the federal holiday of Juneteenth. What, is, what does that mean in our nation's history?
2: In some ways, Juneteenth is really a special moment. It's a moment that is really the first holiday we have that celebrates freedom, um, that is really about helping us understand the fragility of freedom, the importance of freedom, and the struggle for freedom. So on, on just on a cursory level, it's really important to allow us to grapple with one of the most important ideals of our nation but obviously it's also a moment to allow us to better understand the impact of slavery. That this is that moment where um, we celebrate the words of freedom reaching the enslaved in Galveston, Texas. And what's so fascinating to me is that there have always been um, Emancipation Day parades in cities. There have always been places like Florida celebrated Emancipation in April. So there's always been this moment But to suddenly say this is really about helping a nation remember something that it often doesn't want to remember and helping a nation honor those people who were enslaved but they believed in an America that didn't believe in them. Um, This is a special moment for me so I'm very emotional about Juneteenth.
1: And compare Juneteenth or put Juneteenth in the context of that process you were talking about where there was a long push for Martin Luther King day. There there have been efforts over time. Uh, Where does this fit in in that history of trying to recognize black history as a part of American history?
2: In some ways, while I think the the decades-long struggle to um, get the Martin Luther King um, Day, I think it's really, this is almost as important. Because what this is really about, it's about, by the time we had the King holiday, most Americans thought the civil rights movement was the right thing to do. Most Americans are still grappling with slavery and sometimes it's the last great unmentionable in public discourse. So this is really about this wonderful coin that helps us understand America. One side is this amazing notion of freedom and what freedom means. And the other side is the time of no freedom um, and how in some ways the African American communities desire to remember part of history that often is forgotten is part of the reason why we celebrate Juneteenth.
1: You've dealt with the federal government. Were you surprised how fast this happened at the end?
2: I'm always surprised (laughs) when things move quickly with the federal (laughs) government. I think what it tells us is the impact of the last year, of people recognizing that issues of race are not owned by a single community, but rather they shape us all. And I think there was a a profound sense that it was important to remember that America as a nation has grappled with some of the great, some of its most difficult moments, and has made effective change. So this is both a celebration of change, um, a celebration of freedom, a celebration of a community, and quite candidly for a historian, it's a wonderful embrace of the importance of history.
1: So Juneteenth commemorates the end of chattel slavery. You talked about the grappling. There is a grappling with how to tell and how much of the story to tell about slavery that was knit into the very beginning of the country. How do you look at that debate and where it stands?
2: I believe strongly that you cannot understand America without understanding slavery, Um, that our notions of freedom, our notions of liberty, are juxtaposed with our notions of enslavement. Um, And so I think that it's not about pointing blame. It's not about um, remembering difficult moments just to hurt. What it is about is to say, a great nation understands itself, understands itself in in a complex way. And by not grappling with slavery, we are really not telling not only a true history, but we're not telling a truer story of ourselves. Um, And so for me, this is really an opportunity for People to understand that history matters in profound ways. Um, The debates show that history is not about yesterday, but it's about today and tomorrow. Um, And so what I'm grateful for as a historian is the opportunity to teach, to share these stories, to share these histories. Because I have to be honest, when you look at the story of slavery, one of the things that always struck me is that there were people in many communities didn't want to talk about it, were embarrassed by it. But I'll tell you, I wish I was as strong as my enslaved ancestors. Mm -hmm. If I was as strong as they were, what a world we could make. And so I want us to honor that strength um, by remembering and telling their stories.
1: Because a truer story is a more nourishing story.
2: A truer story is a story that helps us do a couple things. It helps us as a nation embrace ambiguity. Mm -hmm. We far too often look for simple answers to complex questions and slavery is nothing but complex. But it's also a, a way to understand notions of where people crossed racial lines to try to help the country live up to its ideals. You have people who sort of struggled for generations but believe that freedom was important. The thing that always, it always struck me as I did research on slavery is they'd always say that in the quarters, in the, in the small cabins, they were always talking about freedom. Yeah. It really was the sort of um, thing people believed in when they shouldn't have believed in it.
1: Let me move now to the present day or another part of our present mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said that, that, that a museum uh, is collecting today for tomorrow. So what is the Smithsonian, what are the museums here collecting today for tomorrow?
2: I've always been struck that often throughout my career, there were stories that I wanted to tell, but museums didn't collect that material. Um, And they didn't think it was important or it was too contemporary. So what I think is important for the Smithsonian is to recognize that we have to make sure that America remembers. And one of the ways to do that is to collect these stories, to collect these important artifacts so that maybe we won't even use them for the next 20 years, but somehow a curator or historian will be able to really look and say, January 6 is important and here's a way to look at that. Um, and so what we did is we recognized the need to have kind of what I call the rapid response team um, to really think about Are there issues that are really important that we should collect? So whether it was January 6th, having people out there collecting posters and banners that people put together, but later collecting broken bits of furniture, things that reflected the damage, because I think that's an important story.
1: How fast did that rapid response team get out there?
2: Oh, they were out there within a day you know and so it was really important to do that and we did that for many other things um you know we've been able to get because the smithsonian has this amazing people we're able to draw from the National museum of african-american history and culture the nash museum of american history the anacostia community museum and what we were able to do is to bring people together and both collect rapidly but to collect in a way that was cognizant of the people that we were dealing with so for example Um, we collected a lot of the demonstrations around Black Lives Matter that happened down here in Washington, Lafayette Square. But rather than just go in and take everything, we worked with the community. We talked to people who were leading these demonstrations to say, we want to make sure we collect stories that reflect your points of view. Um, And so we left things up. Um, We didn't go in and just take because we want to be a fair partner. And then we did the same thing with the pandemic. We knew that this notion of, you know, obviously America being shut down over a virus is crucially important. Um, I remember, you know, seeing pictures of the flu epidemic in 1918 and thinking, we need to make sure we document that. And so the brilliant staff, um, it's not Michael at all, they were so much smarter than me, collected amazing things. The, The first vial, Um, where the vaccine was given in New York City. They have that. Um, One of the early nurses who got one of the early shots, we have her scrubs and her vaccine card. Um, And Dr. Fauci gave us sort of a model of the coronavirus that he used. So the key is to think about how do you document today so that people who don't know this story, will be able to understand it a generation, two or three generations from now. So I'm very proud of how the Smithsonian does this rapid response.
1: And you mentioned talking to the community, because is the goal not just to get an artifact, but to curate something that has embedded in it the meaning of the thing itself?
2: I'm a firm believer that artifacts don't speak by themselves. And so if you collect the stories, if you work with community to understand why certain posters were so important to people, um, I think that gives you a richness that allows you to engage people, to bring history to life. And I think the most important thing for me is that we need to make sure that we're telling stories from multiple points of view. And you're not going to do that if you're not talking to people.
1: Now, it used to be, with historians, that you had to wait 50 years. George W. Bush used to say, I don't care, history will figure it all out after I'm dead. What, what happened to that view of history, or where does that fit in a world of rapid response museum collectors? There
2: are a lot of people, and I was trained that way. You know, you don't talk about anything unless it happened 50 years ago. But I realized that, in some ways, as a historian— I became a better historian when I began to talk to the living community. Mm. Um, And so it made me realize that if we collected things today and talked to the community, there's a richness that that has, there's documents, there's facts that that has. So while I think there was something very powerful about having distance, um, I think it's also important to make sure that you have the stuff. You've collected the oral interviews that somebody then can use fifty years from now with their own distance. But for me, it's about making sure we collect today for tomorrow.
1: Has there has something changed about collection because we now have in our hands and these smartphones that are turning us all into curators and collectors, and. There have always been images that are apart since the camera uh, of of American history. But is there something different about, uh, I think, particularly, of course, of George Floyd, uh, the video of that? Um, How does that shape and change the job of the museum?
2: It, It makes you realize that there are a lot of historians out there. Um, there are a lot of people that can capture images that can help us think about things in different ways. So, one of the things that the rapid response group did is I also asked them to collect cell phone footage, um, videos that people made, the pictures they took, the stories they told. They asked people, talking to the, what does this mean to you? And so, therefore, it really is just expanding our ideas of what evidence is, what artifacts are. And I think this new technology has challenged us to be more flexible, to be more nimble, but it also allowed us to have more interaction with a variety of communities because you know they're not thinking about how this is going to be written in 50 years. They're thinking about what happened right at that moment. And it's powerful to have that.
1: So on Jane, I also wonder, I also wonder if there is a necessity to move fast because we are in an age where there's a lot of rewriting of history we've all seen with our eyes, and I think particularly of January 6th. There are already people who are changing the narrative of that day. Is there something about our historic moment that is, you have to have a rapid response team because it might be a different history tomorrow in the public eye?
2: I think that history has always changed with rapidity. Um, The difference now is that history is really more in the public eye. Um, And so you see changes and it's crucially important both to collect the moment, but also to document that changing history, to document how people are debating over these issues because that's part of the richness. Um, Again, a good museum helps people go beyond finding simple answers to complex questions. And so being able to capture those stories, those different points of view, are really important and help us tell a fuller story.
1: Do we need to cultivate a suppler mind about history oh. so that we're not, I mean, immediate- this is the case, this is the truth, and anybody who tells me anything different is a heretic or is un-American?
2: One of the things we have to do as a nation is understand our history and understand what history is, um, and understand that when history evolves, it's not because the left wing or the right wing controls. It's because evidence has been discovered, or we ask different questions, and allows us to shape history in different ways. I think what's important to remember is that the goal is to tell, as the great John O. Franklin, the historian, always say to me, "Tell the unvarnished truth, so that people can be changed by that." And if that means history evolves and that changes over time, that's fine. But the key is to make sure that you're helping people understand that history matters. For many people, they still view history as nostalgia. And I view history as the fundamental force that shapes who we are today. Um, And so therefore, that's why history is so important. And that's why there are so many debates around it. Even people who say history isn't that important, don't major in history in college, are the very people who are out there saying, wait a minute, I want to make sure my interpretation of the past is the dominant interpretation. So um, I find it fascinating. I find it a struggle, but I find it important that history is now, once again, in the forefront of many of our conversations.
1: Well, when I think about the events of 2020 and 2021, uh, I mean, it feels like you could have a museum for just those two years, so much has happened.
2: I think that, When you look at the recent history, you're right. So much has happened, murders of George Floyd, all the way the world has gotten involved with notions of Black Lives Matter, obviously the pandemic, um, the the elections and all the issues over partisanship, January 6th. There's a lot going on. But what I think is important is to also use history to contextualize this, to let people say that, One, the murder of George Floyd is part of a long history of racial violence in America, and that there have been moments where you use those moments to transform a nation, to change a country like they did during the Civil Rights Movement. Um, So the key is to use history to help people find understanding and meaning.
1: Did you find that experience a lot at the African American Museum, where people might have gone and who... Uh, didn't have a deep, rich understanding of the the black experience in America and might have come, come out and said, gee, this isn't the first time these things have happened.
2: I think that building the African American Museum, part of the goal was to give the public a reservoir of knowledge that they maybe didn't have, that they can dip into. And we framed the story not as a black story for black people, but really as a story that used one culture, to better understand what it means to be an American. And as people went through the museum, I was always moved by the letters I would receive. My people stopped me on the street and hugging me and saying thank you, because what it, what it gave them was an opportunity to understand something that maybe um, they didn't talk about at home. Or it gave them an opportunity, one of the great powers of a museum is that we create informal communities. People who don't know each other come together around an artifact, and that conversation changes. So people would say to me, they overheard a conversation, and it made them think about something differently. In some ways, museums like the Smithsonian are part of the glue that holds the country together, but they're also part of that place to create curiosity and stimulate that. So that in essence, when we create exhibitions, we're not furnishing the room, we're furnishing the imagination.
1: How much of a hit did the Smithsonian take during the pandemic, just in terms of that communal space that we could no longer go to?
2: One of the things the pandemic did was it allowed us, it forced us to reimagine the Smithsonian. Um, It allowed us to move much more digitally. Um, We had always were moving towards a digital first strategy, um, finding the right tension between tradition and innovation. Well, The pandemic made us go to a digital only strategy Mm -hmm. um so it we learned a lot about the fact that the public um sort of our use of education material was seized by the public it grew over 150 percent um so it suddenly means to me that there are millions of people that we can serve by being more digital Mm -hmm. Um, and so i think it's changed us in that regard it's also changed us to think about we have to think about new business models Mm -hmm. um you know so much of The prosperity of the Smithsonian was based on people going to the restaurants and eating or going to the gift shops. So it it allowed us to rethink Mm e-commerce. What does that mean for the Smithsonian? And it also challenged us to think, like so many other people, what does work really look like? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you bring everybody back, do you not? Um, What has worked from, from this Zoom culture and what hasn't? So it really has, my notion was that the Smithsonian should not just try to survive this moment. It should use this moment to ask questions that it didn't ask before, to make organizational changes it never did before, but to recognize that we will never go back to the way it was, and there's nothing wrong with that.
1: I was talking to somebody who interviews people on TV for a living, and they said with Zoom you lost the quick interaction of human uh, closeness. But what happened over time was that he discovered that the conversations Uh, there was less performance to them. They became deeper and more mellow. Did you discover anything like that in the museum world when everybody was having to go online about the way people consumed history?
2: That's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Um, What I was struck by was that Zoom took away the informality, that many people felt that they had to be much more formal in their answers, that um, they really wanted to make sure that um, they were heard. Um, I was also struck, I spent a lot of time watching, how did it play out with issues of gender or race? Did people feel comfortable speaking? And so there was a lot of work to make sure everybody felt they were equal. But the notion of what Zoom did for, did for me was it real, made me realize that the millions of people that I could engage in, the, you know I talked to all the museums in Italy or in Ireland without getting on a plane. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's really, in my mind, an effective tool. Um, we have to use it with caution because there are people who aren't comfortable with it, but it's an effective tool.
1: If we've got everything at our fingertips these days, or we think we do, we can look up things online, we can do all that, why should I come to a museum?
2: Good question. There is nothing more powerful than the interaction with objects and with other people. Um, And you don't do that online. Um, What you also want to do is when you come into a museum, there's opportunities for accidental discovery. Um, that you go look at art that you really weren't interested in and suddenly, oh my goodness. Um, if you ask me on Zoom, am I gonna look at that art? No, but if I'm in the building, yes. I think that what we wanna do is recognize that we wanna make sure that technology is integrated into the museums, give people opportunities to go deeper into certain subjects or really let them see the connections of what they saw here at the Smithsonian with museums in Texas or Chicago. So there's real possibilities that the technology will allow us to both expand our audiences, but also to help other places that care about history or culture um, reap the benefit of being tied to the Smithsonian.
1: And I wonder if you think there will be a hunger for simply existing in space with other human beings because we have been so deprived of it?
2: I have been overwhelmed by the response that people have shared with me about being able to go back to the National Zoo or go into the museums. There is is a sense of both starving for what was once was, right? So to say that we return to life as, as before the pandemic, but it's also this notion of realizing what we missed. We missed that social interaction. We missed being able to grapple with exhibitions and artifacts in ways that challenged us, but made us feel we were part of a broader community.
1: I wonder, one of the amazing things with the African American Museum is the feeling that it happens to you when you start and as you move through it. uh, as they tell writers, you show, don't tell. You, you feel it as a, in addition to being told and introduced mm-hmm. to other things. So I wonder if, well, is that a part of the modern goal of a museum, to make you feel, not just deliver facts?
0: For
2: me, when I was helping to build the National Museum of African American History and Culture, it was all about emotion. It was because I realized that if the goal of history, if the goal of a museum is ultimately to help change people then part of that change has to be that they've got to feel it Um, one of the things we did in the in the african-american museum is i wanted to reduce history to human scale Um, I didn't want you to think about slavery or migration. I wanted you to look at a slave cabin and think of the family that lived there. And by reducing it to human scale, it made people who didn't care about that subject suddenly see themselves. So I think emotion is really one of the ways that you will see museums try to serve their audiences because what you're trying to do is create a full educational experience. And some of that has to be, you want people to own it, and by owning it, it's the emotion that, dr- that draws them.
1: I was thinking about that in the context of COVID-19, if in a museum you could recreate that sense of isolation people felt. I don't know how that happens, or the sense of life mediated through a Zoom screen. Um, I, think
2: it's, I think it's looking at how we communicated, looking at what our fears were. Right, I think that's really important. I mean, you know, the fact that spaces that were once safe terrified us, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and uh, I think one of the most powerful artifacts to talk about this moment is a mask and gloves, right? Um, And so I think that what you wanna do when you think about the pandemic is one, contextualize it, understand that this is part, that this has happened before, understand how important science is, Um, to our lives, but also understand that with every pandemic, a nation changes. There were fundamental changes that occurred after the flu epidemic in 1918, 1919. Changes in the building codes, for example. So what you're going to look for is how has America changed? How's the world changed as a result of this pandemic?
1: Going back to that idea of why people should go to museums, what was your first experience with the Smithsonian?
2: So I am probably 11 years old, and it's during the centennial of the Civil War, right? So like many kids, I'm so excited. I want to know about Yankees and rebels. And, um, and so we were driving in, uh, to go visit my mother's family on Easter in North Carolina from New Jersey, where I grew up. And as we got to Virginia, I saw these signs for Civil War battlefields, the Museum of the Confederacy. And I said to my dad, oh, I want to stop. And he would always find an excuse. Oh, I got to go 20 more miles to get gas. He would never stop. So on the way back, I thought, okay, I'm gonna plan this out. I'm gonna take a map out. I'm gonna look and see what the distance is so I can get him to stop there. And he never did, he just kept going. But instead of driving to New Jersey, he pulled into Washington DC and he pulled into the Smithsonian, right in front of the Smithsonian here, and said, here's the place where you can come, learn history, learn culture, learn science, and not be turned away because of the color of your skin. He knew we couldn't go to those places, I didn't know that. And for me, the Smithsonian from the very moment was a place of possibility, a place of fairness, a place that let an 11-year-old kid run, run through history and art and science. So I want the Smithsonian to always be that place of discovery, that place where anybody can be made better by the knowledge of the Smithsonian, and could really draw sustenance from the art, the culture, the science.
1: Do you have a different eye for looking at objects in the human world than than maybe I would have? Are you, do you see, especially with this rapid response idea of curating museums, do you look at objects differently than other people?
2: What you do is you look at objects as part of the way to tell a story. There was a traditional way you collect it, just get that object. You know, that that statue is important. For me, it is really what is going to allow me to engage people, to tell a fuller story, to tap people's emotion. That's how I look at artifacts. There are some things that just are so powerful, you want that artifact. But For me, it's about how do I make sure that we're giving people a useful and usable history, Mm -hmm. a useful and usable culture through artifacts that sing.
1: Juneteenth is on everybody's mind now because of the federal holiday. But I think for a lot of people, Juneteenth was something they learned about. They didn't know about it when they were in their history classes. And the Tulsa massacre is also something people are just learning about. What do you think are some other areas that are ripe for that kind of discovery and reintroduction into or perhaps first-time introduction into the American story? I
2: think there are really interesting stories where people have come together to affect change that people don't know about. I think of black and white women coming together in the 1920s and 30s to form anti-lynching leagues, um, to demand that there be a federal law to prevent lynching. They weren't successful, but the notion of these people coming together is a powerful story, right? I think that there are stories where we have to embrace the fact that our notions as Americans sometimes meant that we did things that were evil. I think of the Wilmington riots during Reconstruction, where, again, hundreds of people are, dis- are killed or destructions because people wanted African Americans not to have the same opportunities as others. So there are stories that are going to make one cry, but there are stories of, of resiliency and optimism that I think are really very, very
1: powerful. So that's what we want to put into history. How do we handle the things we want to take out of history?
2: well a good historian is like a good gardener you know when to prune Mm -hmm. um and so there are things that are either not as instructive um not as important as they once were um i think what you want to do is you never erase history um because i think that's wrong But what you do is recognize that new ideas new information new impacts mean that you look at history and dip through a different eye Mm -hmm. Um, so you see books written today about, oh, gender, are very different than the books written 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And I think that's good, because what it really means is that we're expanding the canon. We're expanding people's
1: understanding of the past. So this year marks the 175th anniversary of of the Smithsonian, and there's an exhibit called Futures. What do you hope for the future of the Smithsonian?
2: Well, the Smithsonian has always been a place that has helped the country think about its future, right? Whether it was supporting an early glider and aviation work, right? Uh, um, and so what I want is I want the future's exhibition to help the public th- recognize that they shape the future. Mm-hmm. They're not simply shaped by it. They shape the future. But for me, what I'd like to see the Smithsonian um, 175 years from now, um, people saying that, boy, the Smithsonian is really a value. That it gives us tools to live our lives, that it has a contemporary resonance, that it has stories that are old, stories that are minute, but it also has stories that allow us to basically be a place that defines reality and gives hope. That's
1: great. Secretary Bunch, thank you so much for being with us. Thank
2: you. My pleasure.